After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, hey, hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Camps are open, preseason games are set to begin. Josh, let's do that hockey. Man, let's do that hockey indeed. We're seeing Canadian Hockey Leagues kicking off. we got QMJHL action, we've got WHL action. Hockey's back, Todd. It, it really is. And it feels good to have the teams back, players out on the ice, skating. We've got the, the preseason that's set to open. And of course, that means we are well into a new season of the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you follow us on our social channels. You get Josh on Twitter, now known as X, and Instagram, at Scouting the Refs. You get me, at Todd Lewis Sports, on, again, Twitter, X, if you prefer, and Instagram. On this week's episode... Survey says, we've got ideas too. Bollock, Bear, and others down under. The league and refs dynamic and stick swinging stupidity. I think that's probably the best way to phrase that one, isn't I it? I think most stick swinging is stupidity, but man, they never fail to surprise me by taking it to a new level of dumb. Uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. In everyone's workday life, it's nice when you get a little perk thrown your way, you know, a little something that's just kind of a little nicety about doing the job that you put your time and effort into. Well, a few of the NHL stripes are getting that because referees Kevin Pollock, Gislaine Hebert are headed to Melbourne, Australia, along with lines persons. Matt McPherson and Bevan Mills. And of course, we have to have a supervisor. So NHL VP of officiating Don Van Massenhoven is going. And that's because the NHL is headed down under for a couple of games. Yeah, pretty cool to work some preseason games down under for these guys. They get to travel the first NHL games below the equator, the first time the Stanley Cup has gone down there. And not only, Todd, are they working the games, which is a pair of preseason matches between the Kings and Coyotes this weekend, but they're also doing an officiating clinic for some of the young Australian hockey officials down there. So pretty cool opportunity for them to not only work some games down under, but to give back to the community there. So a phenomenal opportunity. And hey, it's it's almost like a mini vacation before the season, right? Well, sure. There's a lot of travel involved, but you know what? I, I like the officiating camp part of it too, because you know what? If you're growing hockey, you're going to need the officials as well. So let's let's build the whole foundation, not just just part of it. So, one of the traditions of the start of a new NHL season is ESPN does their annual survey of players about rules that they might like to change, might like to amend, or in some cases maybe bring back. How about this one, Josh Morrissey? If a power play goal is scored, that doesn't mean the end of the power play. It keeps going. We've talked about this one a little bit, and I kind of like it. Uh, just because of success, you shouldn't be penalized for that success, in a sense. Hey, that's the way the NHL originally drafted it right up until the 50s when they decided that they'd seen enough of the Montreal Canadiens taking advantage, and they pulled the plug. You score the goal, the power play goes away. So 
it's not without merit. It makes a lot of sense. I think it, it puts a little more value on the penalty. So hopefully it prompts teams to play cleaner hockey because now instead of giving up one goal, you could be giving up two, maybe three. We've seen that in the Champions Hockey League. They have a similar rule this season. So I think it's a, an interesting one. I think it's a, a good one by Morrissey. You want to boost scoring, it's more power play time. Couple of other suggestions, one from Sidney Crosby, who is kind of curious to see how the game would change if they brought back in the red line and eliminate the the long bomb pass from your own end to the opposite blue line. I, I think it would shift and change things. I'm not sure if it would be for the better, though. I like the wide open style. Yeah, it's an interesting one because Crosby noted that the game has changed a lot since two-line passes were a thing. Uh, there was a lot of clutching and grabbing back then. We've had so many rule changes, so many skill upgrades in terms of players and their abilities and their speed on the ice. But this is one that slows things down. I think this lets teams go back to trapping in the neutral zone because now you can't pass the puck over your blue line and over the center red line. You've got to pass over one. Otherwise, you're blowing the whistle, calling the play dead for a two-line pass. So I think it slows things down. I think you don't get those stretch passes. You don't get those home runs. I, I think if folks don't like offside or there's even been question of should we get rid of offside – you're making it worse by bringing a two-line pass back because now it's another reason to stop play because effectively you've you've gone too fast up ice. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's possible to go too fast. I think that's I think that should be encouraged, not discouraged. So, um, another suggestion is one that always gets haha kicked around is kicked in goals. Tage Thompson suggests that yeah, let the puck go in off skates if you if you kick it in. I I, I can see it. I understand that there's the safety element, but I think that can be addressed. I think so. I think it's probably a bit overstated. You you certainly don't want to create a dangerous situation, but we saw the kick-in goals were allowed in the WHL. They've instituted a rule change a few years back now that lets players kick the puck in as long as you don't kick it in the goal crease. So uh, interesting for Tage Thompson because we know Buffalo's never had any issues with skates in the goal crease no. on a controversial goal there. But it's, uh, it's, I think, something else that has merit. You can kick the puck everywhere else. You just can't kick it into the net. So as long as you don't have guys doing you know, bicycle kicks or these huge swinging kicks, if you're not in the goal crease and you're, you're away from the net let them redirect the puck. I think that one, that one's possible. I think we've seen in the WHL that it can be done safely. It's just a matter of if the NHL decides that they want those to count. And if you want goal scoring to be up, why not let everything count, right? And if you're allowed to use your feet, you should be allowed to use your hands, but you can only do that in the defensive end. So hand pass should be allowed just about anywhere. If the if you catch the puck or, or, or move the puck with your hand, I think that should be allowed anywhere on the ice. That's an interesting one too. So why not? I mean, we can pass the puck. You can do a hand pass. Is it really that big of a deal with guys down on the ice to push the puck out of the way? Look at the controversy that's happened with hand passes. I mean, that's part of the reason for coaches challenge for missed stoppages. We had a playoff goal wiped out because of a hand pass that may have just deflected off a player's glove. So there's a lot of controversy around that and probably not as much of a safety issue. I don't think we want to let players bat the puck into the net. So, you know, maybe we let the hand pass go, but maybe not the batting the puck in to score a goal. So I could compromise with that. Again, it, this is just removing hindrances, removing obstacles to the the flow of play, keep the puck moving, keep things going. You bat it with your hand, you kick it, whatever it is, just let's just keep on playing.
I couldn't agree more. Some other interesting suggestions include no icing on the power play by Charlie McAvoy. Now, I did see a suggestion, I think it was from Ray Ferraro, who said, well, what about the strategy then of just simply icing the puck? You're, you're going to win at least 50% of the face-offs if you're half decent. Win the face-off, ice the puck. That's a way to kill power play momentum, which is a point to consider. It is. I, I think you don't want to put more rules in necessarily, but you certainly don't want to incentivize guys to do that. And Ray's right, especially if you have a great face-off guy, you, you can rely on him. You've got a 50-50 shot or thereabouts of maintaining possession of the puck. I think it's fair to get rid of the free pass on icing on the power play, though. You, just because you're penalized doesn't mean we're going to ignore certain rules for you. So I get the logic there. Uh, to me, I know folks hate delay of game penalties, but this is where I think one makes sense. Maybe two subsequent icings without clearing the blue line it's a delay of game so you can't do that at least you have to skate out of the defensive end before you throw it down the ice or something there to to penalize just doing it again and again and again maybe two times maybe three times but i think if you've if you've taken the face off iced it and then done it again i think that's grounds for a delay of game penalty and i think i'd be okay with that because teams would quickly learn much like they have with hand pass off a face off or that face off violation or similar plays they've learned not to do it and i, I think they would there but I think uh, raise on to something. Teams will abuse any new rules. Uh, absolutely. Find every loophole that's available to you. Some have suggested that the shootout has outlived its time. And among them, Jack Eichel and Johnny Gaudreau, who suggest longer overtime periods to decide games in the regular season. I like the idea. I don't like the idea of the same six players going on the ice again and again and again. So maybe you have to go through your bench the way you do in a shootout. Oh, that's interesting. Didn't think of it that way, Todd, but that that is a good one. I think it's funny you mentioned that the shootout may have outlived its time. I think some folks will say that the shootout should have never been put in in the first place. But the uh, the overtime change, that's a good one. And, and maybe that satisfies some of the concerns that I've heard in the past from the NHLPA that you don't want to lengthen the game because your top players are now putting in more minutes. Well, okay, we'll, we'll do 10 minutes of overtime, but now each player only gets a, a set amount of time or a shift. You know, the only thing that bugs me about that is then we, we start blowing the whistle if somebody stays on too long or, or we have to monitor that, which we're already monitoring ice time. They're already keeping tabs on the guys that are out there. So maybe there's some way to institute it, but I think everyone would be happy with more overtime and, making it that it has to be spread out among the bench that that potentially makes good opportunities for matchups or maybe ends up in a goal even sooner which is a lot more exciting than drawing it out for five minutes to get to a shootout yeah well we'll see if anything comes of these now, from I like the i like that one too so the the espn had the had their survey the athletic of course not to be outdone had to do one as well and one of the ones that they had Smaller goalie pads here, here. Let's bring it in right now. Smaller goalie pads. I, we've seen the NHL scale back. I, I don't know if folks remember that pads were bigger at one point. If you go back and find uh, who's a good one, Garth Snow, maybe in the uh, the nineties, oh, yeah. uh, shoulder pads were way up to here. His leg pads were as wide as they could be. So they trimmed a little bit off of that. But I think the challenge is that a lot of it is for puck blocking and not necessarily for protection. Um, we're well beyond the protection side so as much as needed to keep the goalie safe you don't want guys getting injured you don't want them getting hurt stopping the puck but there's there's a little bit of fat to be trimmed off the side of those pads especially the shoulder pads the chest protector the midsection where you see guys 
it's legal, but they're they're definitely a little bit wider in the middle than they look out of their equipment. So you know it's doing more than just protecting their body, but it's expanding to help provide a greater blocking area. So I, I think that one makes a ton of sense. I don't see us expanding the size of the goal frame. And it's funny, none of the players mentioned that. There was no, there was no suggestion to make the goal frame bigger, but maybe we can make the goalies a little smaller. And you know what? When they trimmed the pads last time, we saw the more athletic goalies were the ones who benefited from it. The guys who were well-positioned, the guys who were very athletic could move across the crease. They could even get in a position faster. So I think it made goaltending more exciting. I think if you go with smaller pads and while you're at it, get rid of the trapezoid. Now you've you've got mobile goalies that are more incentivized to leave the net and can get around faster. I, I think it'd be exciting. I, I agree. Make the pads as thick as you want for protection, but they can only be a couple of inches wide. That's what, what gets me. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the trapezoid because there was a suggestion to straighten out the lines of the trapezoid because it's somehow confusing. Let's just get rid of them. Right. Who wants to fix it? Don't change the geometry. Just get rid of the thing altogether. I, I have no problem with goalies wandering. I think they should. I think the game is faster. We go back to Sidney Crosby's comment about the red line. Well, that's that's around the same era that we looked at with game changing and implementing the trapezoid to prevent goaltenders from playing the puck. And we had some that were good, but we also had a lot of neutral zone trapping then. And it, it made the goaltender more able. It gave them more time. I think now it's so much faster that a goalie who's going out there to play the puck, even if he's talented, even if he's a great stick handler, uh, he's taking a risk by going out into the corners. And I'd like to see it. Goalie exploration should be encouraged. I agree with you there. So how do you, how do you feel about high stick goals being allowed? I've kind of mixed feelings on that one. Oh, that's a tough one. So we've we've got the standard. We have two standards, which already makes things confusing. We have right. the, high, the high stick on a played puck, which is shoulder height. And then we have the high stick on a deflected goal into the net, which is crossbar height. So first, you've got fans and sometimes broadcasters that mix those up to begin with, which creates some confusion. But I, I'm... I would be okay with allowing more goals to be scored. And I want to be free about it, but I think you are going to create a situation where you just end up with sticks at head height and it does create a dangerous situation for players. I think if we had full face shields, if they were full caged, maybe I would be more inclined to be open to it because you're a little more protected there. But I don't think we really want to incentivize players to keep their sticks at like neck, face, above shoulder height. I think it, it's probably too dangerous, but man, it's 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 so ticky-tack sometimes to see a goal waved off because we're trying to do the geometry and measuring how high it is and taking our best guess. And the NHL is doing the same thing. They don't have a secure measurement. They don't have puck tracking to see the height of the deflection. So it's, it's tough to see goals wiped out for that. But I think this is one of those rules where player safety might trump that goal being scored because you, you, you don't want to see guys taking somebody's head off couple of more quick ones in terms of power play man advantage. If you get a shorthanded goal scored against you, the power play is over. I'm good with this. This is a fun one. Uh, and this is another one that was seen in the Champions Hockey League over in Europe that they recently instituted. So you're shorthanded. You score the goal. You go back to even strength. It kills the power play, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> it bails your team out there. It gives you a goal. And it stretches things out a little bit because, you know, to Ferraro's point earlier about just icing the puck, well, you could, but now, you know, you can get out of this penalty kill situation altogether if you score a goal. So maybe you cheat a little bit, maybe you do a little cherry picking and maybe that opens 
for more scoring opportunities for the shorthanded team, but it's also going to open up the ice for the team that's on the power play. So higher risk, higher reward for both sides. I think that's the type of change that makes things more exciting. I, I like this one. It's boosted scoring in the CHL, so I, I'd have to imagine it would do the same thing in the National Hockey League, especially once teams started to figure out how best to take advantage. Scoring is sexy and we're in favor of more of it. Here's another little one that was suggested that just makes so much sense to me. If a power play carries over from one period to the next, then the face-off to start the period should be in the attacking end of the ice. Yes, it should. Ow, that's, it's such a small one. It's such a simple one and it makes so much sense. We start each period at center ice, but we're usually at even strength. So why not, since the rule changed to allow power plays to start in the attacking zone, why not start the period in the attacking zone? I think there's really no reason to keep that face off at center ice aside from, well, that's just how we've done it. Right. We need to look at the game situation. If the game situation is that we're coming back on a power play, then why am I going to rob the the team that is on the power play of that attacking zone face off that they would have had at any other point in the game? So, yeah, I think to me, Todd, that's I mean, that's almost straightforward, simple and defensible enough that flip that one in there before the start of the season. We got two weeks. Tell everybody it's it, it, what's at most. It's two face offs, right? <laughs> I, I, at most, it's two face offs. Right. Well, but again, it's simple and it makes sense, which, of course, means it's not going to happen in time soon. <laughs> but anyhow, that's another story. So there was one other item that did come up once again in terms of the surveys and players. So the suggestion was made to have referees speak after the game. So it looks like we'll discuss this once more. And you've got a nice post up on the scoutingtherest.com website about this and that it inevitably is going to bring about official cliches if we ask referees to speak. Now, I also noticed, and I want to get this right, so NHL Deputy Commissioner had a couple of comments to Mike Russo of The Athletic, and I will quote, I don't think there's any appetite to change our current policies with respect to our officials and they're talking to the media, Daly said. Having said that, I don't think we're escaping any responsibility to address the media when controversial judgments or decisions are made, but I think that falls on Colin Campbell and Stephen Walcom, Gary Bettman, and to me occasionally when these situations happen. Further, I negotiated with the officials this summer. We just completed a new collective bargaining agreement that has to get uh, board approval, but believe me, it's not come up as anything they're interested in. We're speaking of officials' names on their jerseys now. A lot of things have changed over time. A lot of officials used to have their names on their backs. They don't anymore. That hasn't come up as a request by them either. I think they enjoy their anonymity on the ice to the extent they can. So, parentheses, rest talking to reporters has never been a bargaining issue. I think we feel pretty strongly that the league should have that voice, not the officials. If I may make a comment here, first off, I like Bill Daly a lot. I think he's done an excellent job in the role as deputy commissioner. And I think he offsets a lot of what some do not like about Commissioner Gary Bettman. But in these particular quotes, I think there is a lot of, how shall I put this, farm fertilizer. So much of what I expect has been crafted by a communications department. Here's our response. If this topic comes up, PR people use phrases like no appetite. Everyone wants accountability. No nameplates. Okay, maybe there hasn't been a specific request made, but everybody's got an ego. And I don't think the officials would mind one bit. I don't think the players would mind one bit if they had their names on their back. I don't think it makes sense for them to have interviews after every game. But if there is 
a controversial call, quote unquote, someone has to speak about it after the game. I think you're absolutely right there. And it doesn't have to be the referee. And whether it's a pool reporter, whether it's a statement from the league, I mean, look at the work that Dave Jackson has done for ESPN or Don Koharski on the TNT broadcasts. They've come out and said, you know, here's what the rule is. First, let's explain the rule. Second, let's explain how it applies to this situation. And then third, let's give the perspective of the official. Like you mentioned with the cliches, Todd, it's going to be, I didn't see it. Or from where I was, it looked like it was a penalty. Or from where I was, it looked like it wasn't a penalty. There's really not much else you're going to say. The, the judgment that they made, the explanation you want, that was them calling the penalty. And, you know, as far as what they saw and reacted to, that was when they called or didn't call the penalty. So they're not going to gain any great insight post-game. We might have better insight. We've got the, the benefit of replay. We've got multiple angles. So maybe we can see that the stick wasn't where it was or uh, the player stepped on the opponent's stick or whatever the case may be that maybe it shouldn't have been a call. But the officials aren't seeing that in real time. That's not how they're calling the penalty. So why should we expect them to explain it that way? And if they can't, then I think those types of calls, tripping, hooking, we don't really need much of an explanation on those. But I think the league could do a better job, as Jackson and uh, Koharski have tried to do. They could do a better job of explaining some of the more critical ones, especially goaltender interference or some of the offsides where it comes down to nuances of the rule and really getting into those explanations Player safety's done it, right? They put out their videos. They give us a full-blown explanation on all the details, and I think they do a terrific job. Whether you agree or disagree with some of their rulings, you can't argue that they've done an amazing job of explaining how they get there, and and that's maybe the gap that folks would like to see filled. If you're not going to do it by officials post-game, figure out where you can, because that's the opportunity to me. Take the call, make a video, uh, apply the rule, understanding here's how it worked and help educate fans and uh, broadcasters as well. That would go an awful long way, I think, in satisfying the the desire. Absolutely. And you're not throwing anybody under the bus, right? This isn't right. Hey, hey, this referee made a bad call. It's from his perspective on the ice. He saw this different angles, replay angles show us that the way the play really transpired was that this happened and that's why we overturned the goal. So I think we have the benefit of more information. We can't blame the referees for not having that because it's not always available or doesn't necessarily factor in based on what they see. But where it does or where we can use it for folks to understand where the line is on goaltender interference, for example, let's do it. Help people understand the game better. Okay, there was one other, I don't even want to call it a game situation. There was one other incident that surfaced video of it about a week or so ago. It actually made the national news in Canada. There was a, a beer league hockey game in Toronto where two groups of idiots had a full-on stick-swinging line brawl. It was embarrassing. It eventually did break up or get broken up. Uh, the, the police were notified and did investigate and eventually did find a few of the participants and issued warnings. No charges were laid, but good on the facility and the league who have indefinitely suspended both teams and a number of the participants have been banned for life. Good on you for taking that action. Yeah, absolutely. Something where you needed the league to step up. The league did. I was surprised that the police were not contacted and that there were no serious injuries. I thought for sure 
man, this is going to be ambulances going to the hospital. This is going to be assault charges. But nobody called the police. The The police, I think, did comment and say that there there could potentially be assault charges. But without them being contacted by victims, there there really was nothing that they were going to do at this point. Uh, a bit ironic, I found it, that the, the league in question is the Adult Safe Hockey League. Certainly didn't feel that way during this game because this was probably some of the the most violent and uh, unnecessary contact or conduct that I've seen in an adult hockey league. Far from safe, but no, they they have stepped up. They have absolutely done, I think, the best they can as far as coming down hard on the players and the teams. But hopefully, that's that's not something that you see happen again anywhere. Um, you know, especially with the stakes of a rec league men's game. It's it. What are you guys playing for? You're 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 playing for fun. You're playing for your love of the game. That's hard to make that argument with looking well, at this video. <laughs> you know what? You're, you're you're maybe you're playing to draw blood, and and maybe counseling would be a, a better way to spend that time since now you're not allowed to play in this league anymore. <laughs> that's right. There will be a there will be another activity during that hour that people will be spending their time in. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's nicely done. That's good work.